0: Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 174. What can you learn from feeding an entire book on Python programming into ChatGPT 4 and asking it to provide a technical review? What are the potential pitfalls of using an LLM as a learning tool? This week on the show, author Al Swigert talks about his recent experiments using ChatGPT and Python. Al wanted to test how well an LLM could understand the computer science concepts covered in his recent book, The Recursive Book of Recursion. We talk about the positive and negative results of this technical review. We consider if this would be a valuable tool for technical review of your projects. Al shares his thoughts on using ChatGPT as a learning tool and its potential pitfalls. We also cover the current strengths of this type of tool for Python developers. All right, let's get started. Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey Al, welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's fun to talk to you again. I've been looking forward to it. We've kind of been playing back and forth with this topic, I think for, I don't know, four or five months. So I'm excited to get you on the show. And every month there's always something kind of new to discuss in it. It sounds like you've been playing around a lot with ChatGPT and some of these other large language models and trying to figure out maybe, as part of it, are you trying to figure out where it fits into like your workflow or like maybe how you might want to use it?
1: that and also just finding out about it in general at first i was sort of really dismissive about it because it's sort of like oh yeah ai that's every 10 years or so ai becomes like a hot thing again yeah and it was hard to see how this more recent ai which is which is really large language models is that any different from all the general machine learning stuff and and of course people were talking about chat gpt and i thought like okay yeah i've I've been around, I know how the hype cycle works, but I was talking with Eric Maths, the author of Python Crash Course at PyCon this year, and he was really starting to take a look at it, and he he told me to like, yeah, go ahead and check it out. And so, yeah, since about April, I've been looking at ChatGPT and the other large language models as ways of generating code, as ways of checking for bugs, and also, just for uh, catching mistakes in my programming books as well,
0: cool, yeah, it sounds like a whole bunch of different things we can kind of touch on, and those are definitely things I, I think that'll be of interest for the audience. I have been playing with I have an open AI account, and so I've been messing with it here and there. I haven't been using it as much for coding. I kind of maybe over the last couple of weeks been doing a little more of that. I have been using it for other interesting uses. And RealPython's had a whole bunch of different articles approaching a lot of these tools. Um, One was from Martin Royce. He tackled it from the personal coding mentor kind of idea, like how it could help, uh, say, somebody's more in their beginning stages of Python learning. How how could ChatGPT be there? And I think that might be one of the angles that you have looked at a little bit also. Mm -hmm. He did a whole thing on about prompting, which I I think is fascinating. And I, I definitely... I want to talk a little bit about that the more specific you can be <laughs> it seems to be yes the the most helpful um the, the machine still likes instructions so
1: <laughs> yeah because i mean this applies i guess to both ai and people but nobody can really
0: read your mind <laughs> yeah 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 reasoning is not it's a strong suit i think is maybe where some of it falls down like it it trying to figure out things yeah one of the things that you did, and I'm not sure when this was, I guess it was in June. Um, you had ChatGPT4 do a review of your recursion book. Like, Do you want to talk about that project and what, you're, what you were hoping to get out of having a look through your, your recursion book and, and some of the results?
1: Right, so this is for my book, uh, The Recursive Book of Recursion, which covers uh, a whole bunch of recursive algorithms, and, and I always thought like, why is this so hard for a lot of people? So I thought, well, I can break down all the all the pain points and and how it's po- taught poorly, and and figure it out, and then write a book. And you know, it, I thought I could just sort of squeeze this book out pretty quickly, and then it ended up taking about five years.
0: But <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I it came out. It's a, all of my books are freely available under a Creative Commons license on my website, uh, inventwithpython.com, and. I took this book and I said, okay, well, it's it's been published through No Search Press. It's had editors go through it. It's been through technical review. I keep going over and over it. And so it's out now. It's published. And I thought, well, what if I just copied and pasted the entire text of the book and fed it into ChatGPT4 with the prompt of, this is a book on programming. Find any conceptual errors on it. And I wasn't interested in you know, spelling mistakes or typos or grammar mistakes or that sort of things, but actual are there mistakes with like bugs in the code or did the book get its facts wrong? And I was actually surprised that there were some things that it found, but oh boy, yeah, it was, (laughs) it was a slog. I mean, (laughs) the one thing is I, I had just gotten my my OpenAI account, uh, and and I hadn't learned how to use the API yet, so I was just copying and pasting it in. I think about like roughly, I figured I could get about twelve thousand characters of text into it, and exporting it from the from the ebook version, it got rid of all of the uh, indentation for a lot of the Python code, and that required Ooh, a lot of cleanup okay. and, and just other little things like that. But for the most part, I, I wrote up an entire blog post about it called Using ChatGPT4 to Review My Recursion Programming Book. And breaking it down, I think I got about like 180-something bits of feedback from it that I categorized. So about 61% of the feedback that it provided was stuff that was basically useless. I mean, or it would be kind of helpful, but not really helpful enough that I would want to, you know, contact the publisher and say, hey, let's do a new printing of this Uh, sort of thing it was just sort of you know suggestions of you can reword it uh, like this and i thought like well yeah i could do that
0: but sort of grammarly like kind of stuff that might be suggested and you're like this feels like it's not you know written in a technical writer's methodology and you know could be construed in a certain way or whatever and
1: exactly
0: okay yeah, that's the kind of stuff I get all the time, and I have to like say no. I, I like phrasing it this way.
1: <laughs> same here. Grammarly helps out, but for you have to you have to do a lot of filtering yeah. yourself as well. And the same thing was here for ChatGPT. So that was uh, 61% of the feedback that gave me, but 15% of the feedback, which so I think this came to about like you know a dozen and a half items. It actually did find things that I had gotten wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, some of these were like uh, I think somewhere I said like as the aspect ratio increases, it becomes more taller than whiter. And actually, I, I got that switched around. It's actually, it gets wider than taller. Uh, so it was, these were things that weren't spelling mistakes. They weren't grammar mistakes. They were actual, you know, factual errors in the text.
0: That's interesting. That's something that, that a grammarly wouldn't catch because it, exactly it's not trained on those kinds of uh, technical concepts. Or potentially programming concepts,
1: right? And so it, it actually did kind of help me out right there. So that was sixty one percent, which is sort of meh, and fifteen percent where it was actual things that needed to be corrected. But then, sort of the remaining twenty four percent were th- so about a quarter of the feedback that it gave me were things that were just wrong. Oof. Like if I followed ChatGPT's advice, I would be introducing mistakes into the text. And some of these were little and some of these were pretty big. You know, these were sort of like uh, black is white, up is down, left is right <laughs> sort of mistakes where you just read this and I can say like, oh, that's not true. Yeah. So uh, the the main thing that I, I really wanted to highlight in this blog post or and, and in the blog post, I detail out every single one of these 180 sort of things. So it's you can read the the preamble there, but like and then dive into the details if you want.
0: Yeah, you even provided the the whole GPT chat log. Oh, yeah. Uh, people want to truly want to dig in.
1: Yeah, but uh, the main thing that came away from this is like, yeah, this is not going to replace anyone's job anytime soon. And really, but at the same time, though, like, well, you know, that that 15% of stuff that it found, that was actually pretty useful because this had already gone through like all the human review steps and then things that just everybody had had missed and... So I thought like, okay, this is actually pretty useful. You know, it it took me about a a day or two to just copy and paste the entire book and go through all of the feedback items. And this is kind of hair pulling because literally most of the time, the feedback that I'm getting is, I know it's going to be wrong or it's not really going to be that helpful. Just to get those like little nuggets of utility from the feedback.
0: It's interesting because it's like a full technical review in a way, and it also had grammatical stuff, which that's interesting, but I could see somebody as a technical reviewer using it as a, like a grammarly pass, you know, kind of thing. Like, okay, it's flagged all these things, but unfortunately as a human being, I still have to check your work Yeah, and, you know, find all this stuff that it's decided one way or another. Did you have someone else suggest this to you? Like you heard somebody else trying this out as a, as an idea or did you just, oh, no. Okay. It's your novel idea.
1: Yeah, I've, I've gotten into like just throwing tons of different little things at ChatGPT. Okay. And, and seeing how it works. I've noticed there is a noticeable improvement between ChatGPT 3.5 and 4. Okay. So I would, I would definitely, unless it's a very minimal question, I would always stick with ChatGPT 4.
0: Oh yeah. Could you? delineate why like what what what's changed I mean I know it's a maybe it's a larger corpus that it's been trained on and maybe it's fresher newer but what are the kinds of things that you see as differences?
1: I think I, I've noticed it mostly in whenever I ask it to generate code. okay 3.5 still has a bad habit of producing code that is maybe it's syntactically correct but it'll just have bugs or it won't work. Or it'll hallucinate APIs that don't actually exist. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be looking up so like, oh, how do I scan this file? And it'll say, well, call the scan file function. And I thought, like, yeah, that that would be great if that function were real, <laughs> but it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I we we had an article recently, and I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. It was actually about the Linter Ruff, and this person had done a. You could tell they just basically fed it in there and said, hey, you know, give me a, a, an article that talks about all the features of Rough. And it had a whole middle section that was about how it could uh, have a set of rules and that you could actually define your own rules and how to create them and had all these API points and so forth. And if you went and looked at the documentation, it was none of it was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just kind of fascinating. And then I thought to myself, well, that's interesting in a way that like, if it thinks that that stuff is useful and, and you are somebody creating an API, not that you don't already have a lot of other work on your hands, but it's like, yeah, maybe that would be kind of cool that it actually, like, <laughs> give you suggestions. Like, this is something that maybe people would want. So,
1: but, Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say that, like, oh, and right in the middle of it, it started talking about dogs. And, uh, <laughs> rough,
0: rough, rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean,
1: that's a, a huge problem is that it will just hallucinate APIs, which is is actually one thing that I, I actually look at ChatGPT for doing is when I because, you know, the API for or the documentation for a lot of APIs is usually going to be pretty bad. You know, I'll, I'll find some new software library or a new package and I'll want to use it. And the documentation is very technical but not very helpful. Mm. And so I can ask ChatGPT like, hey, write a program that does this basic task using this python package and as long as the package was produced before i think it's september of 2021 mm, okay is when the training data was collected it'll generally be able to spit something out and then i'll i'll take a look at it and like oh yeah this is this is pretty nice well sometimes and then other times it will produce buggy code that doesn't work and then i'll i'll point out like hey this program doesn't work and then of course i'm sure anyone who's used ChatGPT knows it'll then profusely apologize. And then offer up something else, which will probably also be wrong.
0: <laughs> um, the apology thing is interesting. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is something I I can definitely tell that they've they've added it in because I don't think it it always did that.
0: Yeah, I I, I have. Um, this is really a stupid tangent, but I I I think about this often in my own home when the voice assistant boom of gosh what is it almost 10 years ago now when all these devices have, have arrived and you know say alexa or siri or call all these names sorry if i triggered right. anything up there um but uh <laughs> i occasionally be like okay thanks you know or whatever you know i'd have like kind of a polite kind of thing or whatever and i had other friends that were just mean <laughs> oh, wow. all the time <laughs> to their assistants, and i had no idea like why they'd, you know they'd be like screaming like shut up <laughs> and so forth and and like just like i i wonder about that sometimes about the the relationship as these things have advanced so yeah that's that's a total
1: uh rorschach test <laughs> yeah but, yeah
0: it tells me a lot about people like or you see how like in some sci-fi like how different devices robots and stuff are, are treated <laughs>
1: these things yeah yeah it's uh i i used to be very polite to um to even like typing into chat gpt or just or sure the <laughs> the voice activated assistants that shall not be named because i don't want to activate them with my voice right but then after a while i uh like with chat gpt i just say give me a program that does this instead of being more polite about it because i sort of realize you know there's no sense being polite with it or angry about it these are very much tools and yeah i've i've noticed that the decision to make them anthropomorphized, right. like have ChatGPT answer your quests in a first-person perspective, that is very much a, a marketing move to make people think that these are human-intelligent-level uh, systems, when really you can find that, no, no, large language models are not that. They are software tools that are very impressive in some aspects, but absolutely not impressive in others. Yeah. Uh, for example, I mean, every, anyone can, can do this. Just go to ChatGPT or BARD and give it two large numbers just to multiply and then just say, like, you know, here's this 20-digit number multiplied by this other 20-digit number. ChatGPT will always get it wrong.
0: Do you think it just doesn't have the, that combination of numbers in it or that yeah, that's just, that's, like, calculations is just not its thing?
1: Yeah because with mathematics it's a very precise yeah. process whereas these uh these are text generating systems that are very stochastic and work off of a training set now for like small numbers it can but you know there's i don't know if you know this but there's a lot of numbers out there just yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. maybe <laughs> infinite who knows right but so it's it's not going to have like a table of every single possible multiplication uh, pair uh, between every pair of numbers.
0: Yeah, I think of like the cached items in it or interned or whatever they're called inside of Python, you know, that are objects already, <laughs> something like that.
1: Right, yeah. Now, so, you know, obviously like we can say like, oh, well, you know, okay, it, it doesn't get this right. I mean, it'll usually get the size of the product right, like the correct number of digits. Okay. And also, interestingly, it'll get the first one or two digits on the left-hand side of the number. It'll often get those correct, but then the rest are just random noise, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, I believe that probably, you know, in our five or ten years development, and I'm sure that AI will be able to multiply two numbers together. Yeah,
0: I think it'd have, like, <laughs> a separate, a separate like like, <laughs> channel that it would be able to think in, like you know, okay, let me do, let me do calculations over here versus guessing the next word.
1: Oh, sure, things. sure. But uh, that's, that's sort of the problem with large language models is that it'd be really easy to to do that and just say like, oh, this is a, a math problem. I'll feed it to this math subsystem. Right. But that's the problem with general uh, artificial intelligence in general is that you want, there's too many possible tasks for it to do that. You can't just program it right. for everything. Right. And so that's why I really like using the term large language model because that's very specifically what things like ChatGPT are. And and that and artificial intelligence has meant so many things over the last <laughs> yes. several decades. It used to mean a computer that played chess, and then it meant like an Eliza chat bot that was or that was some very, kind of video
0: game enemy. Yeah, algorithm. And, yeah, right. and then
1: you would play the AI in like Counter Strike or Quake or these other video games, right? And so now in, in the last few years, it's, it now means like these, basically these also chatbot systems that can also answer questions about basically any topic. It's just that, you know, the answer might not be true, but it, it does produce grammatically correct and recognizable responses that right. seem on topic. So it's chat GPT is sort of like the guy who has read the cliff notes version of every book and read all the headlines but and like and they talk very confidently
0: but they still confuse characters names <laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs> and uh and they just yeah it's it's an overconfidence problem and you can clearly see that this is a product of silicon valley
0: <laughs> i think about some of the areas that we, you know definitely kind of leaning toward programming uses y- you mentioned a couple things about I, I'll, I'll call them inaccuracies or confabulations or whatever. Are there other experiences you've had with like it, not so much focusing on the language part of, say, your book or whatever, but like it generating code for you? Are there other experiences of inaccuracy outside of it, like saying, well, just use this API. And of course, it did, in this particular case, it didn't exist. Were there other areas or you know specific areas where they occur more often?
1: So right now, I'm actually working on the third edition of Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. And right. for the longest time, I put off talking about ChatGPT and, and these other AI systems because I felt like, oh, yeah, I, I don't really want to go into that. But then I realized, okay, this, this is something that's not going away anytime soon. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I mean, a lot of people, whenever they talk about AI, then they try to get the idea of like, data from Star Trek. Right, right. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, one rule of thumb I've developed is that if you're ever reading an article about AI, and they mention some science fiction TV show or movie, that person really doesn't know what they're talking about when they're talking about like LLMs or ChatGPT, because they're going off of what we want AI to be. And this has been the dream, you know, going all the way back to like, Fritz Lang's black and white movie Metropolis. Sure. You know, just this artificial person that can do labor for us for free, and they are as smart as a human being. Also, I, I realized that you can also kind of tell how old the person is based on what <laughs> sci fi character. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I say data from Star Trek The Next Generations, but if somebody says uh, Hal from 2001 Space Odyssey, you can tell, like, oh, they're probably older. Or if you, they mention Westworld, they're probably younger. Um Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and again, AI is something, if you look up the Wikipedia article for AI winter, which is sort of the term for this period after the hype kind of deflates, uh, you can find that there's an AI winter in the 1970s and an AI winter in the 1980s and 1990s.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: There's this constant, like, we really want to believe that one day we will get computers that can operate at the level of human intelligence. I remember, um, uh, these things called expert systems were really big, I think, back in the in the 80s and, and part of the 90s as well. And really, they were just sort of a giant flow chart of if else branching and and some probabilities. And, you know, these things would replace doctors and lawyers because, you know, we could just take medicine. And it's like, OK, what's your fever? are you experiencing pain here and and the idea was like if you just had a big enough table of if else statements you could then come up with a medical diagnosis right, right and you know it's easy to look back on that and laugh but now we're looking at our current area of ai and people are talking about skynet and all of these other things and there's just so much hype and it's yeah it's hard to deflate it so uh, going back to what you were talking about earlier mistakes being made outside of programming i had a uh, a very interesting conversation with chat gpt i i hate talking like this for like sure. no no yeah. it's it's just a large language model it's not a person <laughs> but anyway yeah i asked it what david bowie's birthday was and it told me january 8th 1947 which is correct but uh i started i started poking around and i said well hey what's your source for this fact and uh ChatGPT just replies, Oh, this is widely known and documented. <laughs> it's found in numerous biographies and articles right. and official records. And I was like, name one of these numerous biographies and articles and official records. And and it said yeah, oh, certainly. It's like, um it brought up uh, what is it, David Bowie's uh David Bowie, A Life by Dylan Jones. And it says, Yeah, in this biography, Bowie's birthday is given as January eighth, nineteen forty-seven, and it's confirmed there. And I said, Huh, okay, uh, where in that book? Is David Bowie's birthday listed? And it said, like, well, like it can't give you a specific page number because that would require access to the actual book. And then I said, well, list the chapters of that book. Like, is has ChatGPT read this book, or right. is Chat just, Gpt just like that guy at the water cooler just kind of talking <laughs> about this thing they heard about? Yeah, yeah. And again, the birthday, the actual fact is correct. But I, I just kept poking at it. I was like, hey, how do you actually know what you claim to know? And eventually, I did get ChatGPT to just say, yeah, I'm just inferring this based on the nature of biographies, and, and I can't guarantee that this specific fact appears in this specific book. And, um, that's kind of worrying. Yeah, yeah. First of all, because I don't know if it actually is telling me the truth here, because maybe it does actually have that book in its training data and it could tell me, but it's been programmed not to tell me this because that would reveal that now this copyrighted work of this biography has been used for the training data. And I know that is definitely the case because earlier on, I I remember asking it uh, because so many people say like, oh, Al, you've written Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. Have you tried like automating the process of book writing And, and that joke? Gets more and more hilarious every time I hear it, but <laughs> but I thought like, hey, how about how can I automate a book on programming? And so I, I fed some question about like automating the writing of a book on automating things, right? And it proceeded to spit out verbatim the back cover of Automate's Boring Stuff with Python, uh. except it got the title of the book slightly wrong. But I know from that, like, okay, clearly it has all of this wording in its database, mm, and
0: you've been crawled.
1: Yeah, I don't know if OpenAI just got this from, you know, some public database or does it have the, act? has it scanned the entire book? I would assume that they would, I mean, the world's corpus of published books is so huge and and rich information. I mean, of course, I would want to have used that as a training set right almost but then you know we're still very early on so you know all of these copyright and ip issues haven't been resolved yet and and we're still asking you know especially with with computer generated art now we're uh, saying like hey is is this ethical because you know is it is it sort of like a person looking at a bunch of art and getting inspired and and of course learning from that because we don't consider that to be infringement. Right. But then again, this isn't a person. This is a software system and that's being fed all of this image data. And clearly it's it's impossible to find like the copyright issues for these millions of pieces of artwork and, and imagery that we're using for the training data. So, you know, I would say like, yeah, maybe maybe ChatGPT doesn't have this information, like about David Bowie's birthday and it knows exactly where it is, but it doesn't want to reveal that. Or maybe it actually doesn't know what it knows. And it so it hmm. just knows what the birthday is, but doesn't actually know where that bit of information is from. And so that's, you know, it's kind of worrying. And also, but then again, well, you know, we all have facts that we know, but we haven't actually looked it up. Like,
0: right, we wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you where we...
1: Like, I think I was... Uh, like in college before I ever actually saw my own birth certificate. I was just sort of taking it as, uh, yeah, my parents are probably telling <laughs> me the truth about what my own nice. birthday is. That's, that's probably true. But, you know, we, we all have information that we we rely on as factual. And for the most part, it gets us through the day. I guess that's we for sort of branching more into philosophy more than anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. The course is titled Python Basics Exercises Conditional Logic and Control Flow. The video course is part of the Python Basics series, which accompanies the book Python Basics A Practical Introduction to Python 3. This course covers a set of exercises and challenges for you to practice the techniques covered in the Python Basics video course on conditional logic and control flow. Previous guest and real Python core team member, Martin Broyce, is the instructor and he'll present the exercises and challenges for you to practice and then take you through techniques of how you can solve them. You'll practice the following. Boolean comparators like equals or not equals or greater and less than. Logical operators and or and not. Conditional logic of if, elif, and else. Exception handling and creating try and accept blocks. You'll practice loops of both types for and while and how to use control flow statements of break and continue. Ultimately, you'll bring all your knowledge together to build a text-based role-playing game as a challenge. And like most of the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections, and you get code examples for the techniques shown. All courses have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. One of the things that I, I thought was, interesting there that diving into the programming side of it and you had referenced the idea of having it suggest these apis or something that it wasn't able to generate when you prompt it are you prompting it like you said you were like oh i want to learn this library you know practice with it is is the, are those the type of things that you've been doing with it or have you been saying hey help me you know develop an entire api or or something like that what are the types of challenges you've presented? Then then I'm wondering like kind of like what are the areas where it has difficulties?
1: Yeah, I'm always trying to give it as much detailed and specific information in my prompts okay. as possible. And I'm and I'm always asking for specific detailed information. I found that, you know, if you ask ChatGPT like, hey, what are some popular Python packages to do such and such task? You know, it'll it'll come back with some things, uh, but it's also very like vague and generic, and it's sort of like, well, I could have just Googled this and and found other things. And okay. I don't know if you've ever seen those websites where you're just sort of uh, looking up information on like products or just trying to like broadly cast a net to to find out, hey, what's out there. And you'll find things like, here are the best you know, portable air conditioners of 2023. Yeah, yeah. And looking through them, you can tell they haven't actually done any curation or, or super report style journalism or investigation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel like those particular articles are going to be the thing that immediately get done by this type of tool. Oh, yeah. You know, the, which sucks, you know, but they aren't very useful anyway. I mean, they can maybe give you somewhat of a direction to go from there, but you don't feel like trusting especially in the way that it's written you know it's like yeah. they just were keyword spamming best you know whatever <laughs> right
1: yeah and especially at this point i've i've learned like oh yeah you can't actually trust those at all because they're literally just copying and pasting right the, the Amazon search results page for whatever product because they just want to add their affiliate link. They don't care at all. They're probably not even paying attention to the reviews or anything like that. Or most likely they're just copying and pasting from other articles that have done that as well. (laughs) Reformatting it slightly differently. Yeah, and and unfortunately that is the, I think the predominant danger of AI is not that it's going to gain awareness and enslave humanity, but it's just going to make the internet so much worse by filling it with spam, yeah. essentially. This sort of content that it's grammatically correct and it looks like at first glance a human wrote it, but then you realize it's very vague, it's very generic, just text that has no information in it. And so what's going to happen is now our search engine results are going to get even worse than they are right now because we're going to have so much AI generated content out there. And, you know, this is going to happen with the listicles first, and then I'm also starting to see this more on YouTube with automatically generated uh, YouTube videos that are just pulled together from stock footage and a robot voice. And, you know, some AI speech engines are getting better and better at sounding less robotic. And I don't know, I'm, I'm on a computer 10 hours a day, and I'm looking at all of these things, and I understand how how this works and I feel that like I'm pretty internet savvy so I'm always surprised at how people get fooled by like the the most primitive of photoshops right or you know I can look at an image and and see like oh that's Donald Trump in this image but I can clearly see that the hands are messed up or or something like this or the lighting is off so this was just copied and pasted into something else right but then, you know, you look under the comments and it's a lot of people saying like, wow, I can't believe this. This is a- incredible. I And, you know, of course, the, the whole outrage that that provokes. But then again, hey, what do I know? Maybe all of those comments are also AI generated.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunately what I feel like right now. <laughs> yeah. So
1: so the spam problem is really going to be the the main issue with all of these large language models is just the Internet having... Not even wrong information, but just meaningless, garbage, useless information that just takes up your time and it makes it harder to sift through, but also fake reviews, either positive reviews for your product or negative reviews for your competitors' products, social media bots that will sort of astroturf popularity for some issue or or against some issue or something like that. And and this is all going to happen fairly soon. We can see that, you know, anyone can actually, you know, just try out open AI or BARD uh from Google or or any of these large language model systems, which is why it's always peculiar to me whenever I read a lot of journalism articles on AI, talking I usually chatting them up and, and inflating the hype because I think like, well people can actually just you can try this out right now. You can Talk to ChatGPT, and it's always amazing at first because it seems so lifelike and everything. Right. And I suppose it's also just my training with software development and and computer science in general. Like I know the types of questions that these systems do poorly on, and you can like trick it into uh, sort of like the the multiplication problem right there. Like I know, okay, this is text generation, and it's not actually doing the math. It's just sort of generating text that is a plausible right. response, and that's that's the main thing. Is these AIs are producing plausible responses; they're not producing correct responses that are that are factual. And there, that's a that's a very key difference there. Yeah, like I I would not trust an AI to do my taxes because it can't even do math correctly. But at the same time, we see all these articles saying like. Oh, the, a ChatGPT can argue a case in court or it can get a degree from MIT and right. And you know, when you uh, of course this is all just clickbait because it's fascinating and everything it's it's a lot of hype but and it's especially disappointing because well actually there are some things that large language models are really great at as well. So it's it's not all hype but most of the stuff that i've seen is we're still very on in, in the hype cycle of it.
0: One of the things that I mentioned the article earlier that Martin had written about kind of using it as a as a tutor of sorts. Do you feel like students could use it as a way to learn more about, in this case, Python as a language? Have you thought about that at all of, of like ways that it could be used to kind of help someone get through? He, he has some examples in his article of like, hey, let's have it create a, a cheat sheet for us to kind of memorize some of these topics. and." some of the stuff that I really like that this can output sort of automatically is formatting stuff, stuff that can be kind of a pain in the butt, but you can actually say, Hey, I want it to have this many, you know, this column this way and this layout, and it can actually generate this markdown, which as a human typing and, you know, generating and creating is actually kind of a pain, but it can take those instructions and do that part really well or doing something like generating a YAML file or doing some of these things that are somewhat tedious. that I, Those are things that I've found really useful that it can do. So now I'm kind of mixing up two topics here, but do you think it could be useful? Let's start with the, the student thing, uh, learning the ins and outs of a language.
1: So I was talking with Chris Williams on Virtual Brown Bag okay. uh, because I said like, well, yeah, maybe these AI systems would be useful for learning. Whereas Chris just said, no, absolutely not. Okay. And I, I can kind of see his point there. Uh, really, we're still too early to know if AI is going to be a net positive or negative for education. I mean, we can see the benefits and we can see the drawbacks, and I found myself really going more towards the no, don't use this. Okay. Especially the more beginner you are and the less you know about some topic, the less you should rely on AI as far as giving you facts. I think the best way I can put it is, well, you know, five out of six people will tell you that Russian roulette is perfectly safe to play. Right. (laughs) it's it's just that uh you can you can use large language models as a good teacher and it'll give you all this information and it'll answer your questions for you but you really are playing russian roulette i mean at any point it could give you some false like factually incorrect bit of information and you really have no way of knowing what it is and so like what i had to do when i was reviewing the feedback it gave me for my recursion book i have to check every single little thing because what i've noticed is these chatbots will give me mistakes that are small and there are also uh, mistakes that are really big okay and you never really know what it's going to be i mean you were you were talking about sort of like it's great for formatting stuff into like yaml formats or, or something like that and i've done that also when i was having it review of the third edition of Automate the Boring Stuff. Uh, I have a chapter on on YAML and TOML and and these other uh, data serialization formats. And it told me like, oh, well, like, one way that YAML and Python are similar is that they both have capital T true Mm. and capital F false as keywords. I thought, oh, okay, that's great. And then I realized, oh, that's actually not true. YAML has lowercase T, true and lowercase f false it's just like json and, and javascript and then um i think uh it also said that like toml had a null keyword or, or xml had some null keyword or something like that which uh, is also not true and and so you know these are these are super small like i didn't even recognize that it had given me bad information until i had passed my yaml text to a to a linter to a validator and then it Popped up with this thing that said like, oh, this is actually wrong. You know, invalid. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's invalid. I thought like, oh wait, why did I do that? And I realized, well, I did that because the AI told me that. Mm. And it's, it's such a small fact. Like you would think like, how could it get such a basic thing wrong? And, uh, well, actually, no one can tell you why, because these are all right. stochastic systems. It's generating text for you. And, and that's also sort of another really troublesome thing is uh, you can think of, like, you know, programming languages have just gotten more and more abstract and away from from machine code and from assembly and that sort of thing. And Python is just a bunch more of abstractions there. And you could think of a large language model as a programming language of sorts. Your source code is the prompt that you give it and then the output is the source code for the program that you want it to write. But if it's a programming language, it's a non-deterministic programming language, which is really scary to think about. You can give it the same prompt, and it will give you different code every time. And so that's the sort of like unreliability or or inconsistency that you know, sometimes maybe it's fine and other times, you know, it'll give you code that's obviously wrong, and then sometimes it'll give you code that is ninety-nine percent right, except for this small tiny bug in it that will go unnoticed until it's in production and, and running somewhere.
0: So one of the big fears then would be with the you know, beginner trying to learn the language is they don't know what they don't know. And Right, Having this assumption that this thing, well, it's studied the corpus of Python and it should know what it is and they're just going to rely on it. And this over-reliance would become a a, a huge potential problem for them going forward if they assume that this is the proper way to do things. So I'm wondering about that then for, say, the intermediate programmer, if they're checking their code as they go along and are noticing these things. and In your case, you mentioned using a linter, which... Would be very helpful to kind of like go back and say, okay, is this properly, you know, formatted code? And and I mean, there's a few other things that could help with that, I guess, in there. But but is that always going to be? I'm always is not a good word, I guess. But is that going to be one of the big things going forward? You have to think about, like, okay, where is this more useful for me as a, a programmer using it? I think it becomes
1: less of an issue the more experience you have. Okay, the main thing about people learning to program in the first place whether it's with Python or some other programming language is that it's programming is very unlike other skills. It's very literal. The computer is doing exactly what you tell it to. You know, if you have a comma instead of a period or a period instead of a comma, that is going to give you some error and the error message might be kind of inscrutable, but you have to get it exactly right. I mean, that's the the great and terrible thing about computers is that they do exactly what you tell them to. And it, it takes a while for people to get used to this idea. And a lot of the things that we take for granted, such as, you know, with Stack Overflow, whenever you post a question there, Stack Overflow has a huge list of sort of ways to ask a productive programming question. They want you to provide like the source code that can reproduce the problem. They want you to give very specific information about your computer and like what operating system on what platform you're using. Does this problem happen every time or is it intermittent? All of this other information and there it's generally the culture that you should provide all of this information up front. You should have already Googled to try to figure things out for yourself and you should tell people What the original problem is and what you're trying to do and what you've already tried and all of this stuff. And, but when people are first learning how to program, you know, we're still sort of in that school classroom mindset of, Oh, the teacher will tell us all of these things. If we have a, if we have a question, we can just immediately ask them. And that's, that's usually how we're used to learning. Whereas learning to program, especially now in the internet age, it's a, it's kind of a, a mindset shift. So if you if you're coming into contact with this system that seems to be responding to you like a human you're probably going to be giving it questions that are very vague which is what you don't want to do with with an AI because it's going to give you vague answers in return and it's it's not going to be all that useful and you'll end up spending so much time sort of reading through a bunch of generic text that doesn't have any actionable information on it. I mean, I, I still get uh, readers who will then email me and they'll just say like, hey, my program doesn't work. And that's the entire email. <laughs> and then I have to go back to them. It's like, hey, okay, can you provide me the source code? Right, right. Make sure that the indentation didn't get messed up when you were like copying and pasting it. At this point now, I've, I've written up all of this information into a blog post. and I kind of just send them a link to the blog post because, you know, they're... If you don't follow all of these steps, the whole process of learning just takes 10 times as long. Yeah, And then, but the other part of that is, you know, when we're first learning to program, you know, we'll think of an AI's word as like, well, why would the AI say this if it wasn't true? Because we tend to think of these AIs as being like people and they have human-like intelligence. You know, this is uh, probably something that a lot of people have heard of the New York lawyers in the, I think, the Southern District of New York, who had ChatGPT write up a legal brief for them, right. and the uh, and ChatGPT cited all of these other legal cases that it had just made up. I mean, they sounded very realistic. It was a it was a lawsuit involving airlines, and so ChatGPT had said like, oh well, so and so versus Delta Incorporated, and blah blah blah, and all these other cases involving airline companies. And then it was found out that, like none of these cases actually existed, which has severe consequences as a legal document that you've submitted to the court. It's now like you're lying to the court,
0: yeah. and it was pretty big over reliance there
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i I read some of the transcripts of of the judge just raking this lawyer over the coals, and it's it's really hard to to read, but the thing is like you know we don't know if this is the first time a lawyer has tried to use a large language model to write a legal paper or if it's just the first time a lawyer has been caught doing this. Right, right. So
0: who's doing the the checking? Yeah,
1: but yeah. And and when you read what this lawyer was saying about why they did this is the lawyer is already used to using all of these online legal databases. Sure. And like, oh, just looking at cases and everything like that. So he just assumed, oh, yeah, ChatGPT is doing the same thing. It's consulting it's like Lexus Nexus or whatever. Right. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, these these bogus cases. It's not like somebody intentionally put fake data into a legal database somewhere. It's just that ChatGPT generates plausible responses to your to your prompts. It doesn't. It's just generating things that sound correct. Basically, it's not actually consulting online databases or anything. It's it you know it doesn't even know why it knows David Bowie's birthday. Right. And, and so it is this sort of, uh, this wild assumption that, that they made. And and really we can't blame them because according to all the media surrounding these AI systems, we're, you know, we're saying that they're Skynet and they're super intelligent and they're going to take all our jobs away and, and that sort of thing. You know, for beginners who want to learn how to program, I kind of say, I don't know, if, if you remind yourself every single time you submit something to to one of these large language models that the information it's giving you, every, like you have to check every single little bit of what it says right. to make sure like, oh, is this actually true? And and try running the code yourself and seeing if it works or not. You then like, yeah, okay, sure, you, you can do that. And just remember to be very specific in what you're asking for and and also asking for very specific answers. It's, it's when you ask it for like, hey, what do you think about some topic in programming or something like this, you know, it, it, uh, nine times out of 10 or 85% of the time, it won't give you something that's completely wrong. If we go by the numbers for, for that book review that I had it do. Right. But it's, it's not guaranteed at all. These, these systems are not infallible by, by any means.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I think was the biggest concerns I'd heard, this is really early on, probably a year ago or whatever when these things were just starting to really take off and people were thinking about or even i guess earlier than that people were using copilot which maybe we could talk about briefly but kind of comes at a different angle like in the sense that it's helping you sort of complete your code and i feel like some of the tricks that are in there is that it it's not hard for it to add sort of weird mistakes that are inside you know, program like if you if you're thinking about writing a script, that's one type of thing. But if you're putting a system together, a full application, and so forth, it's possible that it could be inserting security bugs or other kinds of things. And you're still going to need to be doing all of your due diligence <laughs> right. on, on top of it. And I so so I I wonder sometimes where where are you getting the additional benefits of that. I mean, I've had, oh, this is a long time ago, but I, I was, I think, using PyLance or something like that, and it had made some suggestions to me while I'm creating something in VS Code. And it suggested this particular part of a, another framework, and and I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't really want that. But at the same time, it had already added an import statement for me. Oh. <laughs> that That was going to use that, and I'm like, so, you know, that's in a whole other part of the code, right? You're not looking at that part. Yeah. And so then I had to go back and look. I'm like, w- why am I importing that? And did I type that? <laughs> kind of thing. And so, like, I wonder if those are the kinds of things that, that potentially are other, you know, sort of pitfalls in in this that as your program gets larger and you look at, you know, using some of these things, if that's going to be, you know, where potential other problems are at, you know, like security and sort of odd bugs. I I guess <laughs> you know, what what are ways to combat that are the other kind of questions I, I think about too, like you know, outside of, well, just don't use it.
1: Yeah. What I've found that uh, a lot of these systems, as far as generating code, they're really great at generating small amounts of code. So just like an individual function. I mean you can think of it as like an autocomplete with stack overflow, you know, like we, we all make jokes, but uh, this is also very true of just copying and pasting code from stack overflow. Sure. And so you can think of these as, as doing basically that, except automatically. And it has all the same problems where on the one hand, it's great because now you have this code, but on the other hand, you need to make sure you actually understand what it is you're copying and pasting. It's, it's not enough to just sort of right. hit compile and then run it and say, yeah, yeah, it looks like it works. <laughs> so these these are tools that are nice for experienced software developers because they turn code writing tasks into code review tasks, mm. which can give you a, a bit of a productivity boost right there. I mean, a lot of the code that we write on a day-to-day basis is more or less the same code that a million other programmers have written before. And that's why these AI systems are able to to just sort of fill in the blanks because like, oh, okay, yeah, how many times does it seem merge sort or or something like that? So it can it can just give you that information. But I've I've found that generally whenever I ask it to uh my experiences with ChatGPT, whenever I ask it to write a significant piece of code, like say several pages or maybe even an entire application, even a small application. Okay. I found that if I if I run that code and it has some problem I'll usually go back to ChatGPT and and ask it to fix these problems I'll give it the error message I'll just copy and paste that into the next prompt and ask it to fix it and it'll say oh I'm sorry and then it'll give me some more source code personally I have a sort of two strikes you're out rule when it comes to this and <laughs> because if I get that fixed code and I find that it just has another problem that really tells me like okay I I will go ahead and ask it for a few more rounds to fix this. But most of the time, if it hasn't fixed it by the second time, it's just going to keep giving me incorrect code or buggy code or like okay. code that has other made up function calls uh, to functions that don't exist. I mean, the thing is, you know, the the LLM is very patient. It will always answer your questions and it will always provide answers because that's basically what it does. It, it generates text. Right so you know it's uh, eventually you're you're going to find like after the fourth or fifth round of getting problematic code that that doesn't actually do what it says it's going to do you can figure out okay it's just never going to give me the correct answer for okay. this particular problem
0: i'd like to think about like maybe we could dig into like some of the stuff that we would say, okay, th- it's really good at doing this. I, I mentioned, you know, like yeah. the formatting stuff that I thought that that was something it's really good at. I don't have experience with this personally, but let's say you got that uh, library you were looking at and maybe its documentation was kind of mixed and not that you want to do their documentation job, but could you have it like explain this code to me or potentially write a doc string for you or? you know potentially add a test or are those things that you find it's good at yeah actually that is something i really i
1: do like uh, these systems for is just generating doc strings and also generating comments within the code as well okay again it is that sort of thing where you have to closely review everything it says because the last thing you want to do is throw in wrong information (laughs) but you know yeah Uh, Like even as an author, writing prose and and describing things like it's really hard for me because I don't want to be generic and vague, but I I also want to, you know, very succinctly add a comment here that explains all of this stuff. And and that's kind of a pain. And with ChatGPT, I find that mostly I don't use the documentation it gives me, but that's a great starting point to reword and and change around Hmm. the, the comments and doc strings that it gives me. So it's, it is a bit of a productivity boost, but you know, I've, I've just never been able to get any of these AIs to generate an entire application for me. It's, um, you know, other than like something, you know, anything more than like a hundred or 200 lines of code, it just kind of falls apart at some point. So the idea that as a, non-programmer, you could just say like, I want to create a tech startup, I'll just have ChatGPT write my application for me. (laughs) You know, again, it it really works better if you can be very specific. But, you know, if you get really specific, you're writing literal code. You can't just say like, hey, ChatGPT, generate a social media website that's really cool and will go viral. Uh, You're not going (laughs) to (laughs) get any sort of meaningful reply from that. Or if you ask a person to do that. As, right, as right, well. right. Yeah,
0: it's like I have 700 additional questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's
1: like, no, no, I'm, I'm just the big vision person. You, you deal yeah, with yeah, the nuts yeah. and bolts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always kind of a problem. Yes, yeah, that's what I've heard is like, you know, some things it's good at is, Looking more at bite-sized things, you know, looking at a particular function, helping you maybe write a docstring on it and, you know, describing some of that stuff or maybe potentially explaining a piece of code to you, it might be able to do some of those kinds of things. But, yeah, I think the the larger it gets, the more, and and like you said, even as a human, it helps us to break things down (laughs) into smaller things. Right. Are there any other things you want to just kind of, like, we're kind of at an hour here, that... We could mention, I think it's fascinating that it did kind of an interesting technical review of your book. Uh, I think that's kind of cool that it could be, you know, something useful in that if, you know, maybe you write blog posts or you do some other kinds of things. You might want to have somebody, you know, have access to a technical reviewer, you know, but you as the person do need to know. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. The subject need
0: to be, a, you still need to be the subject matter expert, so.
1: Yeah, it it can't really uh, give you any ideas, but it can just sort of like vaguely point out like, Oh, this looks like it might be wrong. And you know, uh, 15% of the time. Yeah. it, It is pointing out something, uh, incorrect, but you know, having it come up with original ideas or just, yeah, just original ways of writing things. Uh, a lot of the content it produces sounds very generic. Yeah. But you know, if, if generic stuff is all you need, then, then yeah, it's, it's great for, for doing stuff like that. But I don't know. I think the, the last thing that I would want to say about LLMs, and this sounds really silly, but I do feel like it needs to be said. These AI systems are not conscious. They're not like sentient. Oh, yeah. They don't have a personality. You know, a lot of that is that they are written so that they provide text in a first person tone of voice and they sound like a person, but that's
0: I mean, they had the word chat to it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole premise of the platform.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that whole thing goes back to like the Eliza chatbot uh, from the 1960s. Right. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, this was a a bit of software written that was supposed to be a chatbot that imitated what was a Carl Rogers. Like a
0: psychotherapist kind of thing? Psychotherapist. therapist oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: And it would basically just do this by sort of repeating things back to you, or, you know, it would be a very good listener in that it wouldn't right. say all Tell that much. Tell me more
0: about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and you could say, yeah. like, I feel very sad, and it would then rep- reply, why do you feel very sad?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And yeah, yeah it's, it just changes around the wording a bit, but it's it's mostly you're just, like, you know, talking to a handprint on a volleyball <laughs> or something like that. But, like, at <laughs> right. the same time, even this really primitive system actually did fool uh, a bunch of people into thinking like oh yeah i'm i'm in a chat room with an actual human psychiatrist right and and they and they would insist like oh yeah no this is this is a real thing but like yeah so eliza you know it's easy to laugh about this but we're kind of doing the same thing today with with a lot of these chat bots is thinking like oh you know these these are actually alive they have needs and wants like people do and and no no it's it's just software Yeah. I mean, but like at the same time, you really can't blame people for that because so much of our technology today is kind of mind
0: blowing. Like, yeah, the voice stuff is blowing me up, blowing my mind right now. Like, I, I, it's oh, yeah, literally frightening me in some ways of like, you know, uh, as a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and like my phone talks to satellites in outer space and I can find oh, where yeah. I am anywhere on the earth. Like, that's kind of amazing if you
0: yeah there's some crazy stuff yeah
1: yeah if you stop and think about it, so you can't really blame people for thinking ai is is also this similar leap in in technology
0: yeah we don't have time to dive into a whole ethical thing but we we touched on it a little bit here and there i'll i'll leave this poster that i, I found just the other day uh that i thought was really kind of good just to that i think is a good thing if you want to dig into a little bit of the ethics it hits on a lot of them it's uh titled if if a hammer was like ai and uh (laughs) it's just a tool is is the the thing that they always put on there and the just is doing a lot of work there (laughs) Um, so i I agree with that yeah there's a few of those that i feel like probably the one that it's the hardest for me as a hammer is a accountability projection if the hammer breaks or and hurts someone the manufacturer will claim the hammer has a mind of its own and they can't help you. <laughs> and I'm like, "Ugh. Oh, <laughs> that's the kind of yeah. stuff that worries me a little bit about this stuff, so and right. how it might be deployed." So, but
1: thankfully we'll never do anything like, you know, put this AI in a car or something like that.
0: Oh yeah, no, 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 <laughs> we wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I have these weekly questions. That I like to ask everybody and what's something that you're excited about in the world of Python?
1: Okay, so I Found out about this several months ago, but I'm still really excited about it. It is a tool called Ruff, R-U-F-F. That is a linter and a code formatter for Python that is written in Rust. And it is amazing. I started writing this blog post where I wanted to look at all of these static code analysis tools because there's so many out there. There's like pylint and autopep and and they have like really similar names. There's pyflakes and flake eight and all of this different yeah, yeah. stuff. And so I thought like okay, I want to just like gather all of these, uh, look at each one of them, compare and contrast, write up a blog post. But then uh, later I found this one tool called Ruff that had come out pretty recently i think it was 2022 last year when it had come out and it's very quickly eating the lunch of all of these other tools it is something like 10 or 20 times faster wow. than than a lot of the other tools it's and that's that's kind of a game changer because it's one thing to have you know a static code tool you can run it and it'll give you a report after 30 seconds of looking through your code base but you know if this comes back in one second well that's that's a tool that you can have it running constantly in the background to give you all of this pointing out all of these like tiny little code issues and also it just does so much i think there's there's one page on the rough website that points out all of the different tools that it replaces so things like pilot and and all these flake plugins as well, all of these like import statement analyzers and right. so many things, and it's it's really incredible. So that's the rough tool. I think really now, I I think I can get all of my tools down to just running black and running rough, and then I don't know maybe like a, a package analyzer, uh, something that looks at my setup.py file. But I'm pretty sure somebody will write a, a plugin for rough that'll do that eventually too. So. It's really great. I gave my talk at PyCon 2023 uh, this year on the topic of rough. Um it, it basically was just me talking about all of these different static code analysis tools. And, and the talk itself is up on YouTube along with all of PyCon's talks. But at the end of it, I say, yeah, forget everything I said. Just use Rough. That's going to <laughs> that's basically replacing all of these. It's really amazing.
0: Yeah, I think we had talked about your article on the show. Back when it came out and so i'll definitely include the link to the talk um i didn't get a chance to see it yeah i i keep hearing about this tool and uh, i know a handful of people that are definitely using it all the time now what's something that you want to learn next this doesn't have to be python
1: <laughs> oh okay so i know i've been saying this for probably three or four years now i really want to learn rust okay <laughs> part of it is like just learning about this tool rough and there's like, oh, it was written in, in Rust. So it can compile it's, you know, it's an actual compilable language, just like C plus plus or something like that. And, and it becomes really fast, but it has all of these other language constructs to, for code safety and things like that. And it's, you know, I've just been busy with so many other projects and things, but Rust is still on, uh, <laughs> on the list of things that I want to learn. It's, it's kind of funny, like, when I was younger, I, was, I kept learning different programming languages, and I, I dabbled with like Visual Basic and Java and C plus plus and Perl, and PHP. Yeah. And then I think around the mid two thousands, I learned Python, and I kind of just stopped learning new programming languages after Python because Python was so great. Sure, sure. But I think Rust might be uh, what draws me into into taking a look at some some new languages uh, again.
0: Any books or resources you found that you're going to use oh, in that process?
1: Yes. I forget the exact title. It's something like "Command Line
0: Tools in Rust." Okay, I'll look it up and I'll I'll include a link.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty good book. It basically goes into like, "Hey, let's let's start creating a bunch of these really simple like Linux command line tools." Yeah, yeah, like the ls command and other things like that. And let's just write a version of them in Rust, just so that they're all text based and it's fairly simple. But we end up with useful little projects at the end of it.
0: That seems like the common. Like target that a lot of people have too is like they want a fast tool, and they kind of maybe have a small like thing that they want to program, and that's a, kind of a neat way to learn it. That that's how I often see Rust being used, not so much as a you know it's going to be an application that's out there running. It's it's usually infrastructural type of tools underlying things, but I I don't know if that's for sure at least those are the python people i talk to that are using rust. so right right yeah cool. um you mentioned a couple of your books on here already. i was thinking of another one you have a, a python programming exercises gently explained. yes, that's a new recent one. yeah, that's that's
1: a book i think came out earlier this year. you know, i kept looking at these these coding problem websites, top coder and leetcode and and there's a whole bunch of them out there and yeah, yeah. they all kind of have that similar like very computer science sophomore sort of level of data structure and, and algorithms kind of questions that they ask and i thought like well you know what a lot of beginners really need are just a lot simpler and easier than that and with a lot more hand-holding so this is a. Uh, Python programming exercises gently explained it has 42 different problems the first one is hello world and they get a little bit harder the the last one is just bubble sort okay. um, so that's sort of the the cap on the complexity you know in for each of these problems i describe the problem give a, a bunch of assert statements to run to check if your solution is correct okay. and then if you still need help i i have sections where that you can read on that will explain some more like uh, common gotchas with the solution and and other things. And if you still need more help after that, there's uh, an actual solution that has some parts of the code taken out. So it's more of a fill-in-the-blank thing. So if, yeah. if you're the person who has been learning the program and you get this sort of blank-editor- Fear response, <laughs> uh, where you like don't even know how to start. Then, then this hopefully provides more of a gentler way to to tackle these problems and and hopefully build up your confidence and knowledge.
0: Cool. How can people follow what you do online?
1: Uh, probably the best way to to find me is inventwithpython.com. That's the website where I put all my books. Okay, and then I just have a, a link to all my social media accounts from there. So I'm I'm usually just at Al Swigert on all the different websites. But also at the same time, you know, my last name is kind of hard to spell correctly the first time through. So it's probably just easier to go to inventwithpython.com.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, Al, thanks again for coming on the show. It's always fun to talk to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is great.
0: I want to thank Al Swigert for coming on the show again this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.